Welcome to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren. And in today's episode, I'll be talking with Sherry Caffey, who is one of our members here at the Vine, about the work and efforts of Walk in Love Uganda. Sherry's daughter, Kelly, and her husband, Matt, are the co-directors of the Walk in Love Center in Uganda. And Sherry recently took a trip to Uganda to see her family there and to get a firsthand look at their life and their work. And so today, Sherry is going to share about her trip, about some of the ways in which COVID has completely changed what they are doing, and the difficulties of being physically separated from family for such extended periods of time. And so I think you'll find this an interesting, enlightening, and uplifting episode We're glad that you are listening and taking time to invest in this conversation. And so here's my conversation with Sherry. All right. Hello, Sherry, and thank you for joining us today. Hi, Warren. It's good to be here. Yes. Thanks for asking. Well, you're so welcome. And I'm I'm looking forward to this. And I thought this was an interesting conversation that I, I knew that I was interested in hearing more about. And so... I thought others might be as well. So I'm glad you were able to, to spend some time with us. Oh, I look forward to it. And I look forward to talking about Walk in Love Uganda. A lot of exciting things happening. Well, let's, let's start right there then. We want to get to your, to your trip and to hear some about your trip. But I know there are some that may not know a lot about Walk in Love Uganda or maybe things that are, are happening there recently. So why don't we start there? And can you just tell us um, a little bit about Walk in Love Uganda, what they're doing and, and what's happening there right now? Okay, Walk in Love Uganda started out as a daycare. And uh, they started out with 40 children in their little, in their preschool program. And this was started so that uh, the moms could go to work without uh, having to carry their toddler on their back and um, it could free them up to earn some money. These are uh, Congo refugees is who they're ministering to. Mm. And when COVID hit, they had to instantly change because the government shut down all schools and especially daycares. And so then they switched to doing, um, uh, providing um, income generating program. That's the name of it, where they train the adults to go out and um, do a job that they're equipped to do. It, uh, they, it's a loan of $200, 200 US dollars, which they are required to pay back, but they have six months to pay that back. And like some of them sell used uh, clothing and shoes, and some of them sell fabric, some of them sew uh, garments for other people, and they get six months of training. And they devised up a program, Matt and their teacher, Vincent, they devised up a program where they can teach the people things that they could do to make money. And it has been so successful. While I was there, they had the uh, graduating class of the, their first graduating class of the people who had been so successful. And they, these are people who had no jobs that were refugees and now earning their own money, able to buy their own groceries 
And mm. you can see such a difference in their facial expressions. They're so excited that they're no longer begging on the street. It's giving them freedom. So I just, that was such a big thing for me to see is the freedom that the people felt for being able to provide for their own family. And so they're going to keep that up, still doing the classes, but they get to open up the daycare in uh, some mid-February. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. So they, hopefully they'll have still the 40 children, but their goal for this year is to grow the children to 75. Oh, wow. So they have a bigger ministry. Now this building, the Lord provided so well for them because this building has several classrooms. It has a kitchen and it has a play yard uh, that the children can go out and be outside. And this was provided free of charge. The Lord connected them with the Catholic church and um, the Catholic church was looking for people that wanted to help the community of Uganda. And somehow they um, heard about walk in love and uh, they contacted them and they had several meetings. They investigated them and did a lot of research. And um, it was such a match. And they used the, the, their connection was a woman named Sister Teresa. And she's a short little stout woman. And oh, I tell you, she's just I would love to have had the time to meet her in person because I think her and I could have really been good friends. <laughs> She's just really vivacious and everything. Anyway, so she loves the Lord and she, uh, through her, they got the building and they're able to have several classrooms and the classrooms are already decorated. And so it's just a great opportunity that they have this and they're, they have several acres, but the thing about the Congo refugees, they started encroaching in on the Catholic property and they got all the way up to this, uh, to where the classrooms and stuff are. And they, I mean, it's right there. It goes down um, and a huge embankment and there's like, um, we would call it a dump ground. Yeah. It's just out where they take all their garbage. And that's what separates this facility with the uh, refugees encampment. And they're all made out of like mud huts. Mm -hmm. I mean, mud bricks. And some have a little bit of metal on them. But for the most part, it's all mud bricks. It's just. And it's like prison cells. That's the closest I could. They're, they're very close together. And um, they're no bigger than a two-person tent. Oh, wow. If that big. They're super tiny. And they house their family. And um, they tack up a, a, what appeared to me like a sheet. But a cloth over the doorway. So they go in and out. And uh, it's just very, very, very primitive. But they do have a roof over their head. So that's one good thing. But 
some of them even get evicted out of the mud huts. I don't know how that happens. I don't know who owns the mud huts at some of them, but it's, hmm. um, it's very destitute. Yeah. Very destitute there. So it's, it sounds like then, so, uh, so Matt and Kelly who are working with Walk and Love Uganda and they're the co-directors there. Is that right? Yeah, they're the directors in uh, Walk in Love Uganda, but they're the co-directors. Uh, uh, Walk in Love is like an umbrella. Uh-huh. It has Walk in Love Tanzania and Walk in Love Uganda. And uh-huh. Kelly and them were in Tanzania, but then they uh, branched out to Uganda. So, yes, they're over the Ugandan part, but it started out in Tanzania. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um and so they, they're in Uganda, they get, they get the word that they can't do the daycare stuff anymore, which, as you said, that was their primary focus and, and what they were there to do, right? Right. And, and to be able to, the, the thought that I had as you were sharing that, to be able to shift gears so quickly into something completely different uh, seems like you would have to, to have a pretty good grasp of what your true mission was. If you're if you're there to help people and to serve and to meet needs, if that's kind of your primary mission, it seems like you would have to have a pretty good like understanding of your mission in order to shift the function of what you're doing that quickly and that completely. I think it did. Matt has always had a desire in his heart to reach the men because you're going to change the family dynamics by reaching the men because they they often leave their wives and then go look for another wife and have multiple wives. Mm. And so Matt has always had a goal to minister to the men and to train them to be godly husbands of one wife. That's a total cultural shock for them. Mm. And uh, in this program, the Lord just provided so much. First, they devised up a curriculum to reach the adults, both men and women. And then they uh, were starting to interview the people that were going to receive the loans. And then a group of pastors of different churches, of Bible-believing churches, came to them and said, we want to partner with you. We want to, when, in your weekly training, we would like to minister to the people also. And these people's churches collected money and they would ask Kelly and Matt for assistance and knowing who was in the direst straits of people they could help. But they preached the word to the people that were coming to their weekly classes. And uh, so they ministered ministered to them spiritually they're training them to be able to like matt is their banker he saves he lets they pay back the money to him and he keeps the additional money he starts in a savings account he's hoping to progress to where they can open a bank account but the problem with the refugees is that they don't trust um government facilities mm-hmm. yeah and so they really hope that matt continues on with being the banker even though that's very labor intensive for matt um his his workload has increased tremendously mm. yeah he doesn't do the teaching they got a great teacher named vincent 
and he teaches the people because he can speak their language. And then they have two women, Dorcas, which ironically also means Tabitha, and my grandbaby's name is Tabitha. So, of course, <laughs> I instantly fell in love with Dorcas. And the other teacher is Letitia. And they make the women accountable and the people accountable to paying back their loan, and they help them to figure out how to buy more products. There's lots of great stories on people that have been so successful, like they'll sell out of the product in, an, in, in a week and then be able to replenish. Oh, it's just, if we had longer, I would love to tell you stories and stories, success stories about how the Lord is working through it. It's just, I think that is so liberating to be able to train the adults so that they can be good examples for their children. That's great. And I think what, what, um, what really comes through as you talk about their work is the ways in which you can hear how they're, they're meeting needs and, and they're doing what needs to be done to, to truly help people. Um, and they're doing it very much with, with a kingdom perspective, uh, it sounds like. That, that's, this, it's at the heart of what's happening. Yes, the saving of the money. They can reinvest. They can help other people. That's the whole goal of the mission, that you don't just take a hand out. It's really, it, you know, I don't know if you ever read the book When Helping Hurts, but there's so many times that you can help an individual, but it's not truly the best way. It's that saying that if you teach a man to fish, he can feed his family, you know, he can feed people. But if you just give him the fish, then it ends right there. And mm -hmm. to me, this program, I could see the evidence of them being taught how to fish and then helping other people learn that lesson. It's very exciting to me. I'm pretty passionate. That would be the highlight of what I saw the change in is the people because they came in. Kelly has some before and after pictures. You would not even know it was the same people that mm. she, that that I was looking at. You know, and you use that imagery of, of you can, you know, you can teach Amanda fish and stuff. And, and I, I heard someone say recently, like, you know, yes, that's true. Uh, but you can also give them some fish while they're learning how to fish for themselves. <laughs> and and I think I think that's what you're describing that they're doing though, right? They're they're giving them some money up front. They're they're doing some stuff to to initially get them out of some of those uh, positions while also equipping them to to uh, to provide for themselves going forward so they don't stay in that that current state. That is so right. So let me just tell you this one story. This is the now I rarely say what I do, but this is a, this is a lady I sponsored her and I didn't know. I got to meet her while I was there. She's a grandmother and she came there to receive help. She mm -hmm. needed money and she needed beans to take her medication with. And uh, she didn't have any, she had malaria. And so she came, well, they gave her food to take her medication, but then they said, let's interview you for this program. So they taught her and she sells fabric. She sells fabric and um, she goes to the store and she buys all this fabric and then she sells it. Oh my goodness. 
the change in her manner. So they gave her food to take home with, but then they entered her into the education program to teach her. And now she's able to buy her own food. Mm. It's just, but now that took six months. She yeah, didn't, yeah. They walked with her every week. She had an yeah. obligation to come receive she received tutoring one-on-one and then there's group classes and it's just, it's like an AA program. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but Alcoholics Anonymous, but it, you're stronger in a group, but then they teach you one-on-one and you're able to go out and be strong. And it's just an accountability program. It's very exciting. Well, that's great. Well, it's, it's good to hear some about that because I know the last time Matt and Kelly were, were here, uh, they were still kind of focused on the daycare side of things. And so maybe for a lot of our people, uh, a lot of our people may not have heard the post-COVID world that they're living in in Uganda. And so that's, that's a good update and also a reminder of just, man, how universal, uh, how global this the impact of COVID is on everyone and that they're they're dealing with, uh, with the same struggles that a lot of people here are in terms of what do we do now? How do we move forward? And, and I think their, their story is just such a great example of how, man, if you, if you have a firm grasp on your mission and, and your purpose, you can, you can shift gears <laughs> when unexpected uh, circumstances come. You can't be stationary. And that was so flexible with Matt is that he just jumped right in with his passion with reaching the adults. Well, that's great. That's great. And we'll include some other information on, on where people can, can learn more about what they're doing and all those sorts of things. And, and we'll come back to a little bit of that at, at the end of this conversation about support and things like that. But I want to I wanna spend a little bit of time on, on your time there because you recently returned from, from getting to, to spend some time there and experience all of that firsthand yourself. And so I know that had to be very exciting for you and, and probably gave you a little bit of a better grasp yourself on just what's what's going on there. Uh, and so I uh, wonder if you can tell us a little bit about your trip. And so just kind of generally, how, how long were you there? How long did you, did you get to spend there? I was there 25 days. And um, it, it, the highlight of my trip was, of course, being with my family. It had been over two years since I had seen them. And Camille oh, wow. is a... a Camille's now a preteen. She's 12 years old. And so a lot of changes have happened with her and just her growing up. And so it was really fun. And so uh, having coffee every morning with Kelly Mm -hmm. and eating a ton of Indian food. Oh, my goodness. We're all foodies. And we we would try so many different places to eat. Uganda's huge. I think that she said it's like 14 million people. It's it's very crowded in a in a small place. So it's super crowded. And the restaurants are um like we would walk in and we would be the only ones in there. But that's okay. They still make amazing food. And uh, so we tried as many Indian restaurants as we could. And then seeing the girls' school, it's the first time the girls have been in um, public school. Mm. And so that was a real experience to see the school. And I was surprised that the classrooms are open. 
They're open air. They're not fully enclosed. So that's really different than what I was expecting. And um, yeah, that one was really different that they were just open air. Beautiful school, beautiful school. But it's like being part of it, like part of the classroom is covered. I guess they can get under that part when it rains because it rains a lot in Uganda. But their school is very, very nice. And it's an international school. And, and um, in the COVID thing, the Lord directed Kelly to become a teacher. And that's not at all. She's an occupational therapist by trade. But her majors are in uh, science. So now she is teaching middle school science. Man. <laughs> Life has really thrown a lot of curves. <laughs> curveballs during COVID. <laughs> but <laughs> so they kept their funding up by and she subsidized their income by being able to uh, teach and let the kid with her teaching the kids can go to this international school. So it's it's the Lord the Lord continues to amaze and surprise us and provide. Yeah. Well, I wasn't expecting to hear you say that you had a lot of Indian food. That wasn't what, that wasn't what I was expecting for Uganda, but is, is it a hot spot for Indian food? <laughs> well, I, I, they, I don't know if it is or not, but Kelly and them are just always on the lookout for Indian food because Matt, one of his hobbies, he started cooking Indian food, and he's incredible. Oh, my goodness, when he comes here, we're going to have to have people over and let him cook Indian food. Hopefully, COVID's lifted. But um, All right. Well, I'll RSVP for that, and I'll come eat some of okay. his Indian food. Oh, my goodness, <laughs> but you have to like spicy food now. All right, I'm in. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> it's, it's just really good. And we went camping and hiking because, you know, that's right up my alley is going, doing the camping. Mm -hmm. But because I have such a phobia of snakes, I had to mm. just beat it out of my brain about the snakes because we, we were, the overgrowth was really big. And so we were not, it wasn't like a trail. Some of the trails were not like trails. We had to go and monkeys everywhere. Monkeys. I'm not a fan of monkeys because one, whenever they, one monkey tried to grab Camille when she was little and I had to beat it off with my swim bag. That's a whole different oh, story. Goodness. But, so I'm not a fan of monkeys. They're not really nice animals, especially when they're in the wild like that. <laughs> um, well, you but said, I do digress. <laughs> you said it was, it was crowded earlier. And so I think that's, you know, sometimes we have these pictures in our head of like what, what a place like Uganda is like, right? And I think even just kind of as I think about it, I'm, my mind goes to more of the what you said there, trails, open spaces, monkeys everywhere, things like that. But I know you also said there's, there's crowds. So, so where are they kind of, lo are they located in an area that's kind of metro and, and a lot of people around uh, or kind of where, where is their work kind of located at as far as kind of demographics and things like that? They are in Kampala and that is the capital city. And it is, if you would times Austin time about six, that's how crowded it is. It is insanely crowded and the traffic mm. is 
like I saw a picture of the traffic before I went. I went on YouTube too because Kelly told me, she said, Mom, you're not going to be able to imagine the traffic here. And I went on YouTube to watch a video of the traffic. And I honestly thought I was looking at a parking lot. It is, they've got lots of cars, but they make six lanes out of a two lane road. It's just, <laughs> I would never be able to drive there. And we were walking on the streets and it's really dangerous. There's not enough room for pedestrians, even though there are pedestrians that walk on the street and have these big carts and, oh, it's just so congested. I cannot describe it. it, it I cannot describe what the traffic is like. It's very metropolitan. Um. And so, but still, I guess, able to get to some places where you can have some of the open, open room to hike and explore, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, that's great. Right. But you have to leave Kampala. Right. Yeah. Just a little bit, but it's not far. I mean, we yeah. didn't, we didn't travel far. We might've traveled an hour and we were out of it. Yeah. So was this your first time to visit Uganda? I know you visited them before in Tanzania, right? Um, but this was your first time in Uganda, right? My first time. So what were, what were, can you kind of tell us about your, your just kind of first impressions and experiences of seeing their, their facility there and their work there? Was there anything that surprised you or that maybe you kind of appreciated in, in greater detail after, after seeing them on the ground there? Well, when Kelly told me that um, their facility was right close to the refugee encampment, I didn't know she meant that close. <laughs> so like they come up to use Kelly and them's water because they have run in water to wash your hands and, and stuff. And they come up, the people come up to use their water. And there's also, um, we had call it an outhouse, but it's like a squatty potty. Um, and uh, they come up there and one side is open and one side they keep locked. Um, and it, but the other side is open to the people to come up there and use. But they do come up and wash their dishes and their clothing and uh, use the running water. And they fill up their water containers so they don't have to haul it so far. Mm. And... I, I have no idea the number of people that could be living in the refugee camp. It looks, it looks like tens of thousands, but wow. I don't have any idea how many that it could possibly be. Mm, man. Yeah. It's just so hard to even picture. And you just imagine all these little mud huts that look like prison cells um, I just don't have any other words to describe them because they're that close together and it's that crowded. And one of the ladies that they ministered to in the program that they taught that has been a great success only had a second grade education. Oh, wow. So they're having to use symbols and all sorts of things to teach her how to do money. Hmm. And they're, they're, you know, they just have to adapt everything because they, she had, they, she does not know how to read and write. So there's lots of, lots of opportunities for growth for these people. Yeah. 
in learning themselves. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that I was surprised about, so I went there and Kelly had said, Mom, we have an outside playground, but it's really dangerous for the kids. And I said, why is it dangerous? She said, well, it's, a, it's got a steep hill on it. And um, I, I got there and I said, well, Kelly, this hill doesn't look bad. And she said, oh, mom, it's terrible. She said, because the little toddlers can just roll down it. And then they roll up to this uh, kind of this uh, six inch concrete thing. And then the dump starts right there after that. And I thought, oh, you're kind of exaggerated. Well, the Lord had his own sense of humor for me. So they were having graduation day and I was there at the, on the playground area. And I was walking to uh, go meet some of the women because they were all standing up for a picture. And I slid all the way down that <laughs> hill. <laughs> I did. And the Lord was saying, see, it is bad. I'll show you how bad it is. <laughs> I know it. So I wasn't a toddler rolling down it, but I slid down like a slide straight on my butt, <laughs> went all the way down to the bottom. And I said, oh, Kelly, I'm so sorry that I thought this wasn't bad. I'm going to make it my goal to come back and earn the money for that playground. <laughs> that's great anyway so my eyes were opened a little bit because what i think wasn't bad really is not appropriate for even now i it's not appropriate for toddlers no matter if it's toddlers here in america or toddlers over there unsafe Mm. is unsafe Mm. and one of the other things they need to do from that area is to put up a fence so that the children cannot just walk back into the encampment yeah So there's a lot they need to do. COVID was uh, not a blessing in any way, but it gave them time to prepare better for when the school does open now. Well, good, yeah. Well, and I'm wondering even about just you uh, making the decision to travel over there during COVID time was probably just an experience in and of itself. And so I'm wondering, like, was were you torn on whether or not to go? And kind of how did you... How did you discern whether it was going to be best for you to even make that trip? I uh, decided it was best for me to go because I didn't think my heart could take another minute away from being away from my grandkids. Mm. And so I was, I was ready to um, do whatever I had to do to go. Once they opened up the airplanes and said that they were flying, I thought, okay, I'm going to try to do this. But travel, if you are not determined to travel to get to see grandchildren and family, then travel is by far the worst complication I've ever done. They, the rules change even while I'm in the air. The rules change. Yeah, so I, I know you've talked about that someone to, to people on social media and stuff, but yeah, w- walk us through that. Kind of what, what was that experience like and what changed? <laughs> okay, so whenever I was getting ready to go, I had to have a COVID test within 120 hours Uh and that's very doable because it takes two full days to get there you're you have a 22 hour flight and you have a layover in amsterdam of two hours or four hours 
I have five about, oh, probably about six hours wiggle room for my COVID test to be mm -hmm. good for when I land in Uganda. Well, somebody in first class dropped their batter, dropped their phone underneath the seat and they couldn't locate it. And at that time we had stopped in Rwanda and Rwanda's rules are that it, it because the battery's made out of lithium, you can't move the plane until the phone is back in the person's hand. And we were told that we were going to have to evacuate the plane. Oh, goodness. Well, I thought, oh, my goodness. And then if you, if you don't have a good COVID test, you have to quarantine for 10 days at your own expense in an expense in a motel, which I wasn't prepared to do that. And um, the Lord worked it out. They, the, the person did not, he decided that he hadn't really lost his phone. And so we were able to take that. We were able to, still leave on the airplane and um he'd actually just i don't know what happened with the phone whether i have no idea but they told us that he did he the man had not lost his phone and we were flying on but we were there several hours and i got to uganda and i thought all right i have three hours of wiggle room for this test to be good oh goodness and um and it went so smooth. It went so smooth. They, you were saying that, but they shortened the window, right? While you were, didn't it go from 120 hours to? Yeah, they went from 120 hours to 72 hours for the Amsterdam. That oh, okay. was for my stop in Amsterdam. And then they were doing a thousand dollar fine if you didn't fill out this one paper online. Well, I didn't even know about the paper. It's a health check. And they gave it to us on the airplane that we could fill it out in paper, but they wanted it to already be in their system. Well, none of us were able to do that. So fortunately we weren't, we were, did not have to pay the thousand dollars fine, but Amsterdam is extremely strict and um, you have to go through a bunch of health checks like lots of temperature checks which is fine and you're filling out a lot of papers and you're signing that you are promising that you are healthy hmm. uh, travel is just awful <laughs> it's just <laughs> travel is very hard and then whenever i came back uh i had to meet even stricter qualifications to land in amsterdam and I met them all and had it. And that was, that was still the 72 hours. And I get to Amsterdam and I have all my papers in order and all my tests in order. And, I, and I'm third in line of about 300. There's about 300 people behind me and I'm third in line, which I was so thankful that I got up to the front of the line. Yeah. And uh, I got up to the first attendant and they said, oh, we've changed it. United States doesn't have to go through the health check now. Yes. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So I just didn't have to do anything. Oh, wow. They didn't even look at my COVID test at the health check. They did to get on the airplane. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying, it's fluid. It changes all right. the time. You can't even, well, even within, that was just a 12-hour flight. I had left 12 hours before, and it had already changed. Mm. Yeah.
It's difficult. So all all kind of ways that it, it could have gotten derailed, but but everything worked out smoothly and you made it there and made it back and I did. It all worked out. I did. The Lord is good, I tell you. And and he kept me from just about going out of my head because <laughs> I didn't I I didn't know that the rules had changed to 72 hours, mm -hmm. but Kelly got the email that they had changed. And so she was quite nervous. So the people yeah. that were on the ground praying for me to get there safely, they were, they were beyond worried. Yeah. But it worked out and yeah, it worked out. That's great. And I got to see those grandkids in my family and, and then return home to, <laughs> to here. So that was all good. Yeah. Well, and I know, so you, you've talked several times about just um, that, that you weren't able to be apart from him anymore and that those were the highlights of your trip, just seeing your, your grandkids and sitting and having coffee with Kelly. And so I'm wondering if you can reflect for, for a little bit on just the range of emotions that you experience as a parent when, when your daughter's family goes, goes across the world to do that type of work. Because <laughs> I imagine there's just all kinds of of emotions and, and feelings that, that play into to just everything that, that goes into that for you as, as a parent and grandparent. Missing birthdays, missing holidays. Uh, Kelly has missed a funeral. Oh my goodness. To describe the emotion would bring me to tears right now. So I will just say that Sometimes it conjures up more emotion than I can even handle, but the Lord is faithful to help me to deal with them. But it mm -hmm. is, uh, that is, that part of it is not easy because I always miss them. I miss uh, watching Camille and Tabitha grow up. Mm -hmm. I miss, um, oh, I just miss all of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. just that's a big part of it. And when they are struggling, like they struggled so much over COVID with the lockdown because they couldn't even drive their car. And Uganda's called the land of seven hills. So it's kind of like the hill country. There's hills up and down, up and down. They're not as steep as like Colorado, but there are definite hills like in the hill country. And Matt had to walk five miles to get his groceries and carry them back because you couldn't, you couldn't take a car. You couldn't drive. There was no transportation on the road allowed. Mm. And um, and they're serious when they say that there will be no transportation because they shoot people who violate stuff. They don't give them second chances. So <laughs> you don't even try to break the rules. That's you one way to enforce it. it. Yeah, that is one way to enforce it. And so uh, you just do what the what the whatever the law says. You just do that rule. <laughs> And so uh, Matt would carry the groceries back and forth, but then they couldn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So they were all together for months and months, just, just the little family. So that was hard. And um, that made me wish that I could be there, even though I would have just been one more person in the mix, but <laughs> I thought I could help. <laughs> Well, you know, I think I think sometimes when for people like, you know, myself or others kind of who are 
especially those who are kind of a part of, you know, a church in the States where we think about and talk about the sacrifice of those who go overseas uh, to do kingdom work, to do mission work in other places. But, but I think what you're speaking to there, I think, gives a little perspective of that there's, there's a sacrifice that goes into it for family members of those people who are here, too. Oh, my goodness, yes. It's, it's a huge sacrifice. It's a huge sacrifice. Yeah. And, um, and the Lord blesses us still with opportunities. That, like, they have, so they had an election also, and if our election was... Uh, an upheaval, theirs was worse because the government shut down um, internet all across Uganda mm. and nobody had internet so they couldn't call and she couldn't get online to say she was fine and they had they had machine guns everywhere and so we just had to go by faith that, she, that they were okay and uh, it, they were fine but finally, he started turning on the internet again, which that just happened this week. Oh, last wow. week. That just happened the end of last week. So it was really good to talk to her. I hadn't talked to her at all since uh, I've been back. Yeah, well, glad you were able to do that. And, and I'm sure, uh, yeah, man, that just, your trip there, I'm sure, had to be full of cherished memories and, and moments that, that um, I'm sure you'll carry with you for a long time. It will until they come here. <laughs> That's right. Well, that's good. Well, so I'm wondering too, like, so, so you, you mentioned getting to talk to her on the phone. Are, are there other ways that you sort of can remain connected to them? Or are there things that you kind of incorporate into even your daily routines or practices that kind of keep you connected or, or keep you mindful of, of them and, and what they're doing? Oh, well, of course, I'm mindful of them all the time. But we can text through Messenger. And we can call through Messenger or a thing called WhatsApp. That's really mm -hmm. popular over there. And we use that and we can call and it's free of charge because it's using the internet as oh, our good. phone line. Yeah. And so when they have good internet, then we are able to do that. And uh, that's kind of like our lifeline. And so with the girls, I can do a live chat where we're talking. And I mean, I can see them and they can see me. And like if when when my dog does crazy things, I can sure. Oh, look at Daisy! <laughs> and, and so, so yeah, we tried to include one another in everyday life, even just over the internet. And we can do that. You just have to work at it. And mm. let me tell you, it's been it's been six years, and it's taken us growth to get to do this because. It was, it doesn't come natural to have um, a video relationship. Yeah, well, you, you've probably got something to say to the rest of us then who were, <laughs> who've been figuring that out this year then, yeah. So you've, you've kind of been in that world then for a little while. That's right. And you grow to cherish it. And then when you don't have it, like I haven't had it, oh my goodness, then I really did feel uh, anxious about where they were. That really made me very uncomfortable. Yeah. Because I knew that the danger of the election was great. They were already preparing for it whenever I left. Mm -hmm. And uh, because they were, you could see the military coming into Kampala. And that, and so I knew it, they were being, they were preparing for the worst. 
And so Kelly and them prepared by getting all their food together and not having to leave their little, their little uh, area, their fence. They have a, a fenced in area so the girls can play outside and uh, they can see they can see the uh, Lake Victoria. Of course, where they are, you can't get in the water. It's contaminated. Besides, there's awful snakes and hippos and Ooh. hippos. So, uh, yeah. So when it floods, they get the warnings, loose hippos. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> so, not, so monkeys, it's the least of our worries. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Who cares about monkeys when you have hippos and snakes in a contaminated lake? <laughs> right. <laughs> But oh. it's so beautiful to look at. So Kelly had that all the houses have upstairs, and um, and so upstairs she could see the lake from her room, and it's absolutely beautiful. It looks like something you would want to get into. Yeah, it, and it's oh, and we ate so much fish, fresh tilapia. Oh my goodness, the fish was out of this world. Now you have to understand, Mac and Camille hate fish, but they were good sports. So, <laughs> but we had a lot of. I love fish too. Indian food, fish, I'll, I'll do it all. Yeah, let's. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, we had such a smorgasbord of food. I'm the only one in our family who likes fish, so I, 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 feel, I feel that pain. So the other, at least in my immediate family, extended family likes fish. But yeah, in my immediate family, I'm, I'm the lone fish lover. So Okay, gotcha. And Matt, Matt and Camille, they both hate fish. And I eat fish um, a whole lot. <laughs> um, well, kind of along those same lines of, of kind of being disconnected from people and, and relationships, I'm wondering if you can talk some about, uh, you know, we'll maybe close up here in a few minutes about ways that people can financially support and, and do some of that type of work. And I know, I know that's important. But are there other ways that, that people can support and encourage um, Matt and Kelly? Um, and, and I kind of want to think about what that means to people who are in, a, in another place disconnected from kind of their home, their, their families, or at least where, what they kind of knew as home, you know, in, in America, families and things like that. So are there ways that people can offer support and encouragement? Oh, I tell you, during COVID, it was really hard because they were very lonely. And uh, Kelly would ask me, Mom, do you think people remember? Mm. And that was, that was hard as, to hear as a mom. And uh, so, yes, they would love to hear from friends and from people just sending them encouraging notes, email. The email's a great way, or connecting with them on Facebook or Messenger. It's just, uh, just, to, just so that they know they're not forgotten. That's mm. so important. It, it just seems like such a little thing. But just to know you're over there and sometimes all of a sudden you're lonely beyond what you can even think about and you miss home and you miss what you consider normal and you just want to hear from somebody. So email and being in contact with other people, that is a great way to do it. And, uh, and, and they have, they both, Matt and Kelly have an email address and Matt is not on Facebook, but Kelly is. Yeah. And she monitors it at least daily. Yeah. That's good. Those are and good. And praying reminders. for them. 
and praying for them. I know that sounds like, oh, well, yes, I should say that. But that's huge. That's huge. We're, we're firm believers that God moves through the prayers of the faithful. And um, I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it so much. And so praying for their work, especially the way it's changing. And they're going to open up mid-February, but we don't know exactly what that will look like with COVID. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just no way to know what the rules are going to be right now. I'm sure they will find out uh, soon. But just to pray for... Uh, the school opening up. Oh, and they have to find more teachers. Yes. Yeah, so they pray for teachers. That's another good thing to pray for. And then the, um, the income generating program for the adults, all of those prayers would be greatly appreciated. Good, good. Yeah. And I know you're, you're such a great and faithful example of, of prayer. And, um, I know you to be a great person of prayer and, and yeah, those, those testimonies of the effectiveness of prayer and where you can see God, God moving through prayers and, and where you can see the answers to those is, is a good witness and a good reminder for all of us of, of the power that we have available to us in that, in that avenue for sure. And we just don't realize that it's so, it's so right there. If we had another hour, we could go into it. But I, won't, I will not try to tell each and every one a story about the successes that the Lord has brought about through the power of prayer. It's just incredible. And like the church people come in to wanting to minister to these people. It was just such a welcome relief that that was a responsibility that Matt could share. It took, it took one of his hats off and he could uh, allow the um, ministers to, to help. And it just gave the people more connections to the community. Mm, yeah, that's great. Uh, so if people did want to, to help support Walk in Love Uganda financially, uh, what, would be, what would be the best way to do that? And, and what would their money be going toward? What, what are some of the needs that they have? I know you mentioned fencing and, and playground and, and maybe staffing needs potentially even. Are those kind of the main, main financial needs that they have right now? Or are there others? No, that's, that's really it. Because all the money donated goes into, because Kelly and them have their support separate. And so all the money that's donated goes into the um, the supplies and the support of the people and the staff there. It's uh, you can donate through walkinloveinternational.org, and I think you'll put the links below. Yes, we'll we'll add that into the description. Yeah. And there's a place, if you go to Facebook and look up Walk in Love Uganda, you can see it through that. There's, there's many ways to donate. But you, because it's under the umbrella and it started out in Tanzania, you must write, uh, there's a link where you can pull down and it says Uganda Projects. And that's what you write in. Or it, it, on the Walk in Love uh, international you have to add a note and just write in uganda but those are just important steps that uh just to say uganda and then it goes straight to kelly and matt and the work that they are doing 
That's great. Um, and so, yeah, we'll include all that information in, in the description and, and the notes for this episode. And uh, it's been great to hear about what, what they're doing and, and your experiences there. And, and again, I'm, I'm just grateful for you for, for taking this time to, to share some about it. And uh, as I've told you, you can certainly hear your, your passion for it. And I know your, your pride for, for what they are doing and, and what they're accomplishing there in the Lord. Oh, I, I tell you, I'm just so excited about it because you would just never, I, the Lord never prepared me to be a missionary's mom because we made so many mistakes in the parenting field. But in spite of us, the Lord, <laughs> the Lord works his mighty hand and uh, he does what he knows is best. And so for that, I'm just thankful for what all the Lord can do. Well, that's, that's a good reminder for this young parent that, uh, that, that in spite of our deficiencies, uh, God can work good things in our kids. So I hope that's true of mine as well. Oh, my goodness. It's so true. The, you couldn't make as many mistakes as what we did, but the Lord is so faithful and prayer covers over a multitude of sins. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, Sherry, thanks again, and uh, it was good to spend this time with you. And maybe, maybe you can come back with us in some other some other time. We can just talk about prayer or something else like that. So, as you I said, there's plenty plenty of other stuff there to to go through. So we do we do like to end these episodes in prayer. So I'll close us out in prayer today, and uh, pray over their work and and everything else that may be going on there. And and that's how we'll close out our our time for today. So let me pray for us as we close. Okay, thank you, our Father in heaven. Uh, Thank you for this time when we can uh, can hear about the work that's happening in your kingdom across the, the globe. Thank you for the reminder, God, of, of ways in which people are serving uh, and people are, are responding to your call to, uh, to serve and to, to love in tangible ways and to literally, as, as the name suggests, walk in love. Uh, we pray for Matt and Kelly and, and for others who are working with them in Uganda and for the, uh, the work that they're doing there, for the shifts that they've had to, to make as far as what, they are, what their work looks like. And we pray that you continue to bless those efforts, that you continue to give them endurance and strength for, uh, for a time when it seems like changes are, are ongoing and constant. And pray that you just fill them with, uh, with clarity and with wisdom as they go about making decisions of what will be best for them and how they can best meet needs of, of those around them. We pray for, for their spirits. We pray for their hearts as they themselves struggle with the difficulties of, of doing all this work in COVID, with the difficulties of, of being removed from, uh, from family and from, from life here in America. And um, we pray just for all the many difficulties that I know must come into play for that with, with a family and with, with kids going to school and, and all that surrounds that. And so we pray that you would uh, lift their spirits and, and keep them encouraged and that you um, help us to, to remember and be mindful of the ways that we can encourage and support from afar. Uh, thank you for Sherry and for people like her who have such a passion for, for you and for your kingdom and for your work. Thank you for Sherry's willingness to come and to share that passion with us and to help shed some light on, on the great things uh, that are happening in, in Uganda. I thank you, God, for your invitation 
that you have extended to us to be ministers of reconciliation in this world. Uh, we're humbled by your, your desire to, uh, to really partner with us in, in bringing about your kingdom here. And may we, in our own lives, find ways that we can do that big and small in, in our everyday lives. Uh, thank you for Jesus, God, in whom we are connected, in whom we have hope, uh, and in whom we, uh, we share this fellowship in you. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.